Welcome to the Friday edition of Canuck Central. Seth Yarshaw with Jamie Dodd. And as always, Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Big show coming up. Yannick Hansen dropping by for his Friday visit. Uh, just coming up at 4.30, then at 5. One of your favorites, one of all of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Local guy, Canuck defenseman this past year, Brad Hunt, is going to drop by the show at 5. And then one of our favorite segments of the week, Mailback Friday. That is coming up in the second hour of the show as well. But starting things off, there's been lots of Canucks buzz by the insiders oh, yeah. this past week. And we, we woke up today, and we teased this yesterday coming into uh, coming uh, to the end of the show that we're going to talk about right-hand defensemen a little mm-hmm. bit. And, you know, w- where the Canucks have their best chance of landing a high-end one. We're going to talk about that coming up in a second. But then all of a sudden, there was uh, a, a, a pretty big uh, scoop, I'd say, or at least an interesting... A report, maybe? R- maybe, but interesting banter yes. between uh, Bob McCown on his podcast uh, with NHL insider John Shannon and Sportsnet's NHL insider Nick Kiprios... And the three of them, well, got talking about the Vancouver Canucks, and it got the entire city talking, Jamie. It did. It's uh, very, very interesting comments, and not necessarily completely different than some of the things we've heard locally, or even if you read between the lines, uh, some of the things that Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have maybe had to say, but... Just put very bluntly, I would yeah. say. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. All right. Well, uh, instead of us, you know, kind of beating around the bush, here is the clip in his full glory on the Bob McCallum podcast, chatting with John Shannon and Nick Kiprios. It's broken. He yeah. knows it's broken. He knows it's broken. He, he, J- Jim has gone in there with a plan. He's taking his time with the plan. You know, the two key dates for him are what he what he can do on the draft floor on the seventh with a couple of his star players, uh, and then what he wants to do in free agency. I, I, I think that I, I think that we may not recognize, there's going to be a core there of Pedersen and Hughes and Demko, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not sure who else, and Horvath. Oh, no. He's, he's going to make a splash here. Sure he he's, is. He's going to change it up. He doesn't, like, he doesn't like the room, guys. Thinks it's a country club in there. He's going to change it up. What does that mean to Miller? What does that mean to Bo Horvat? Uh, Brock Besser, he's not going to pay. So there's going to be a different look within mm. six months of this team. I totally agree. So that is Bob McCallum, or more specifically, John Shannon and Nick Kiprios mm-hmm. talking about what the Canucks might be doing this offseason and essentially saying that Jim Rutherford believes the dressing room has a country club atmosphere, and there's, there's going to be a major shakeup outside of three, well, four players. Yes, yeah, it's not Corvette in there. <laughs> Much to the displeasure of Vic Nazar. Or, I mean, Vic's like, you know what? <laughs> that wasn't very convincing. But anyways, I digress. But but to the point, uh, you know, Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, and Horvat essentially was a sentiment. Yes. But Kiprios did say... What impact does it still have on the negotiations with Bo Horvat and the contract he's going to have to sign long term? And we'll see where those negotiations go. Now, anytime you hear this sort of stuff, and hey, listen, I am not in any way, shape, or form disputing the report, and I'm not. All I'm saying is, just because they're open to everything outside those four players doesn't mean we're going to see everything happen no. outside of those four players. No, it doesn't mean literally those are going to be the only four <laughs> yes. returning players, right? Yes. Like, that's just, there's. 
the scope of those sorts of changes are just so hard to pull off and so kind of destabilizing to your team, right, to do that in one summer. But it it, it does mean that a lot of different things are going to be on the table. And as I said, that was just very blunt kind of to-the-point language from Kiprios, right? One saying it's broken, you know, Mm -hmm. basically the Canucks in Jim Rutherford's view is broken. And then two, obviously, you know, the phrase that's getting a lot – of play and a lot of chatter is it's a con- he doesn't like the room it's a country club thinks it's a country club okay well and this is this isn't something that should come th- this isn't something that should be a massive surprise as far as the report in and of itself because what did Patrick Alvin say about pat- yep. pat- practice habits himself initially when he came to this team yeah he said they got to get better they're not where they need to be for to be a winning team right and it's again it's pretty easy to read between the lines and draw a connection between those comments and what we're hearing from Nick Kiprios right now. They spoke about standards, expectations, how you set them, leadership, and all those sort of things and stuff that has to improve. So, you know, it's it's not hard to draw the line and see where this is kind of coming from if indeed the report is entirely, you know, fully accurate in, in the sense that it was portrayed in that discussion. Because I do believe, and we've said this for a long time, and many have mentioned this, the Canucks are open to a lot of things outside those four players. That doesn't mean put Colson is being shopped. That doesn't no, mean no. they're trying to get rid of everybody and, and they're trying to move everybody out. All it means is you have a core f- four guys that you're not looking to move. And because of certain circumstances, you're probably not moving Brock Besser either. And there are a bunch of other guys you're probably not moving. The group of guys you're probably not moving is probably 10. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, Oliver Ekman Larson is most likely on that list of players too. Because it's a complicated move to make. Now, now, that doesn't mean they may not explore it or something may not happen. And, and maybe they pull a rabbit out of a hat. But because of all, everything that we know so far is Ekman Larson doesn't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe you dissuade you, you persuade him and we'll see. The other part about of it is it's a big contract. And it's not something that's really easy to handle. So I don't expect that to happen. So yes, they're open to a lot of different things. Ultimately, we'll see what they do end up getting done. Well, and I think it also just speaks to, yeah, as you said, they're open to different things and they're not going to be afraid of making big changes, no. right? I mean, we'll see what the scope ultimately is this summer and there could be more down the road, you know, going into next year's trade deadline, going into next year's summer as well. But I don't think there's any fear of, oh man, we can't possibly break this team up, right? Oh, we, we got to keep these guys together. I don't think they're coming from that point of view. And again, that doesn't mean everyone's going to go, but I think they're coming from a point of view of this team needs major changes and we're going to explore what we can to do to ma- to mix things up, right? Yeah. Well, and just, and I, I would say, and I, and I see people, you know, mentioning, they're like, hey, I, I, I'll believe something when it comes from, you know, Elliot Friedman or something, something along those lines. And I understand the point, however, is that just because they're open to everything, everything's not going to happen. And hey, listen, how things get framed sometimes, I think the framing of it and perhaps how it gets gets spoken, it could come off you know, very dramatic, right? It's country club atmosphere, yep. broken, and all those stuff. Using those words. But if you remove those words and just talk about as and we want to shake things up, we do want to improve the room, we want to improve the standard, that's not a shock. You no. take that out... That's reasonable, and that's something they've talked about themselves. So I do believe the essence of it is something they're looking to do. They want to improve the room. I think raising the standard in the room is something that does matter. And it's something we talked about a lot. Even when Boudreaux was here, we talked about that, that there is a maturation that has to happen with this group. The question is, can it happen internally? 
or does something have to change for that to be expedited or somebody has to come and help usher that along? Well, even just look at how they valued a player who's already here like Luke Shen, right? And, you know, I'm sure they could have dealt Luke Shen at the trade deadline if they wanted, but they value him not only for what he does on the ice, but because he contributes to building that sort of culture that they want in the dressing room, right? He is such a valuable leader off the ice as well. And I think that's very telling that they recognize not just how important Luke Shen is, but the need to have more yes. of those types of players to keep building that culture and setting that standard. Well, you're, you're so right about it. I'm glad you're glad you brought up Luke Shen because one of the reasons why he didn't ultimately get traded, and it wasn't just because of how valuable he is to the team, but they also believe that he is one of those guys that, you almost can't remove from the locker room, especially yep. if you can't bring a guy like JT back. Because JT, in many ways, has been the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, that stirs the drink. The other part of JT, too, though, is as good as he is, does he get in the way of somebody else evolving into a certain role on the team because of how big a presence he is? This is something that players have talked about in the past, and it's not necessarily negative. It's just more about okay, certain guys take up a lot of room and take a lot of yep. take up a lot of space. And there's only so much space to go around. And sometimes when a guy like that goes out, it allows somebody else to grow grow into that room or, or a few other guys to grow, grow into that space. And that helps out the room overall, helps out the team overall. But that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily happen. Right. So when I look at how they have to improve the team, I would still expect that at some point this season, this offseason, we see somebody get added to this team. And people may wonder about how good this player may be, but they feel like this team needs to add for the room. Yeah. I think one of those additions will happen at some point this offseason. Well, I've talked about you know a couple of guys who would fit that mold. I mean, one on the very, very high end is Gino Malkin, right? Who obviously has the ties with Jim Rutherford from Pittsburgh. You know, I think ultimately I would bet on him going back to the Penguins. But if for whatever reason that doesn't happen and the Canucks are able to open up a lot of cap space, he would check that box in a big way. Obviously, one of the most respected, accomplished players in the NHL. The other name that I would keep in mind, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday when we were going through... Uh, daily face-offs list of trade targets is a guy like Patrick Hornfist, right? Who, again, cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, not at that nearly at the the Malkin level of player, but a guy, I think, who would carry a lot of weight coming into a dressing room and who could probably still contribute for the Canucks as well. So, again, you know, it's the kind of thing where you look at Patrick Hornfist with a, you know, $5 million salary, and probably a lot of people would look at that and say, that doesn't make sense for a team that's, you know, trying to get younger, trying to get faster for the Canucks. But I think because they're going to put an emphasis on those sorts of winning habits, that winning culture, mm-hmm. he's the type of player that actually could end up making a lot of sense. It, it could, right? And and we'll see what happens in that regard. Now, uh, you know, we, we joke around about the whole Bull Horvat thing, and, and people are wondering, does that mean Horvat's getting traded? I would pump the brakes on that, too. Yeah. Like, I still very much expect the Canucks to get Bull Horvat signed. And he's still going to be the captain of this team. Like, I don't think that's going to change. So as much as, yes, this is a team that's going to be aggressive, the cha- the equation hasn't changed all of a sudden. Like I, I don't I don't believe anything has changed recently from what they've told us themselves. I mean, Rutherford himself at one point said that the only untouchable is like Demko and Hughes to some degree. Him he himself said that like, we have a couple of guys that yeah. you know you whatever. And then Patterson's kind of getting into that conversation. Of course, Bohorek who they want to get signed, but. I just don't see that this team is going to go into this offseason looking to just get rid of guys because they feel like they have to get rid of a bunch of guys. Like I don't think that's the case. I think they'll make trades and they're going to be aggressive, but I don't see this massive overhaul either necessarily coming. Well, and as you have said you know, repeatedly, they're going to stick to what they think is fair value for all of these players. Yeah. right? As you said, they're not going to make 
I don't think there's anybody on the team that they're like, oh, man, we have to get rid of this guy no matter what we get back in return. You know, we just need to get them off the team. I don't think that's how they're looking at it. I think they're open to exploring a lot of different players if the right trade return is out there, right? If they can get appropriate value back for a player. And, you know, I do think there will be at a minimum a certain level of movement because they have a number of valuable assets they should be able to get appropriate returns for. But the number of actual big consequential trades we see, I think will just really depend on our teams willing to pay the price that they've set for those players. To me, it still comes down to, I look at three, I look about four key players where decisions, like big decisions have to get made. Because with Besser, like I mentioned before, I just think because of everything that's happened and because of where his value lies and everything that goes on, the best move with him is a short-term deal. Two or three year deal, get something done with him. We'll talk more about those specifics coming up in the mailbag because I know there are questions coming up for that. But it's JT Miller, it's Connor Garland, it's Tanner Pearson, mm-hmm. Jason Dickinson, maybe Tyler Myers. Like if we're really talking about, you know, guys that but even even a guy like Myers, for instance, when we start looking at leadership and stuff, that's a guy they've actually been impressed by. We had Bradshaw on, we've had others on who've talked about and Scott Walker on. Scott Walker talked about how, yeah, sure, there may be some problems in Tyler Myers' game, but for that room and for the leadership he brought and everything that he brings, there's actually real value in it. So I wonder how the organization views that. But really, those four to five players are the real key guys to look at. Does something happen with Niels Hoaglander? Maybe. But that's essentially the group. I also think with Tyler Myers, it, beyond just the, the leadership aspect, it's the question of how much are they willing to take a step back next year? Because we know right-handed defenseman is an area of need for them anyways, right? So if, yeah, it would be great to clear $6 million of cap space by moving Tyler Myers, but that just means you need even more on the right side of your blue line. And, you know, that's a, a dilemma I would probably be willing to to accept, right? Like, okay, listen, we just need that cap space, and we'll see what we can work out on the right side of defense, but I'm not sure they are, right? I'm not sure they're ready to create another big hole on the blue line by moving Tyler Myers' deal. No, uh, but I do think if we go back and rewind the season, how much did we talk about leadership this year? A lot. A lot. Like ev- even during that, um, I remember that homestand they had. What was it the seven game homestand where they had a real chance to close the gap? They had Buffalo and yeah. Detroit, and they they had no shows in those games. You know, and it's one thing to lose games and all that sort of stuff, but they had rest, they had everything, and they just no-showed. And we just dragged them for their leadership, or lack thereof, right? Lack of preparation in that sense. But also before that, even before the Boudreaux change happened, there were a lot of issues as far as, like, them not being happy because they were losing and guys underperforming and and things weren't going well. This stuff was widely reported at at that point. What happens when you start winning? Things start changing. Everything looks better. Like, even a guy like JT Miller, he himself said, like, you know, I felt I may have felt differently at a different point in the season, but by the time we're over, like, I feel really good about where we're going now. So I think when you look at where things happen and how things change, and I think that by the time you got to the end of the year and came close to making the playoffs and all that sort of stuff, that the opinion that shift to some degree on it. But overall, these are things that we've talked about all year, certain things that have to be improved. Now, when reports come out and certain things get said and, and there are big words used and you know, stuff, dramatic words like broken and country club, it obviously adds another level to yep. it. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure it's that dire. No, and that's fair. Like, as we said, those are very kind of emotional words, right? And it can be something that needs improving without being, you know, a complete disaster right? that's going to lead to a full yep. teardown rebuild this summer, right? 
Uh, this I wanted to read this text as well that came in. Uh, it says, "Holy smoke, Jamie! Yeah, let's sign the Band Aid Malkin to a huge contract. Are you for real? Look, as I said, I think there's a very good chance that Malkin goes back to Pittsburgh. And the other thing that would have to happen, obviously, for it to make any sense with the Canucks, is they would have to open up a big chunk of cap space. But yeah, if you open up cap space and if Getty Malkin is willing to sign with your team, you talk about it. You think about it. Well, He's you, a phenomenal player. Well, you, you talk about it. Sure, it all comes out to what the number is yeah. and term and all and that the term, sort of stuff. for sure. But the, the point being, and, and I don't believe this team's going to overspend. I saw people texting and it's like, oh, now I can, they're going to do the bending thing. And, and here it comes four times three for guys like but that's, Beagle but and But that's Roussel. why you go after Malkin instead of... Jay Beagle and Andrew Russell. Malkin's in a completely different tier of accomplishment and weight. Exactly. Or a guy we talked about the other day, Patrick Hornquist. Yeah. Last year of his deal. I mean, you get him for cheap. Maybe you get an asset back in return, and he comes in, and, and he's a guy who's at least... When we talk about... When I talk about, I wouldn't be surprised if they add somebody this offseason. I believe they will add somebody this offseason. That's going to be a leadership type. It's not going to be... We're going to overspend on that leadership type of guy. And the thing... Yeah, the, the problem with Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel, it wasn't anything to do with those players themselves or the fact that you brought them in, it was the fact that you gave them way too much money and way too much term, right? So, yeah, if you were exploring that with Malkin, that's something you have to avoid, even though he's such a phenomenal player. It has to work. It has to make sense. But the Hornquist one is a great example. He has one more year left on his deal, right? So it's not as if you're committing all of this salary cap space for years down the road just to get the leadership. You're getting that leadership, but you're doing it in a way that's team-friendly that works for you, too. All right. Well, that's the... uh you know, the quote that's been going around. So we want to dissect it here on Canuck Central. Thanks for all the responses to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. Lots of passion, especially from... People are fired up. Very fired up, especially Eric and others. And I understand. I, I get it. But we wanted to talk through it and talk about what what we should really take away from uh, what's going on in that situation. Now, before we get to Matt Lee in a few minutes here uh, to get on the betting odds and take a look at what's happening uh, in the NHL playoffs and also the NHL draft, I did want to spend a few moments here on how hard it is to find right-hand defensemen. And the reason I want to talk about this is that if the if the Canucks do end up trading up, I do firmly believe it will be to grab a defenseman, whether it's Nemec, whether it's Juracek, one of those two guys, because they're right-hand demon and they're, they project to be legitimate top they four have, guys. Long they have time. high upside. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to go in the top five or six. That's where they're going to go. The reason it makes a lot of sense to trade up there and get those guys is it's really hard to find them. Like even a guy like John Marino, who people talk about and people are like, yeah, he's good, but is he that good? And he's, you know, like there's, there are some legitimate questions about it, but mm-hmm. it's like, he's a guy that will be sought after. There are other guys, even Tyler Myers, people crap on all the time. But you look at it, you're like, well, it's hard to find guys on the right side. So last season in the NHL, right shooting defensemen who played at least one game, there were 137 of them, 137 NHL defenseman shooting right played at least one game in the NHL last season. Left shooting defenseman. There were 207. Yeah. So that's a big difference. 208, sorry. So yeah. 71 more left shooting defensemen played in the NHL last year. It's something we already know. I just want, but I just want to illuminate how big the gap is and how little, how few of those players exist that even if you overpay to move up to draft one, if you draft the right guy, it makes sense because yeah. you ain't finding them. And if you, they come into free agency, look at Petrangelo. What did he get? Look at the big guys. What did they get? 
they're almost impossible to trade for. Yeah, and that's why, you know, we were talking about trade targets yesterday on the show, and John Marino, if he's on the market, it's it's something very much worth exploring. You know, I brought up Ethan Bear, a guy who plays on the right side, who fell out of favor, might be an interesting reclamation project. And, you know, I, I was listening to uh, Harmon Dial on with Bick and Randeep earlier on The People's Show, and he made a really good point that relates to this. You look at Tampa's defense, the left side is phenomenal, right, with Hedman, McDonough, and Sergachev, but on the right side, it's okay. Eric Cernak, who's a really good player, but beyond that, it's it's you know Cal Foot and Zach Bogosian, and that's one of the best constructed teams. Obviously, back to back Stanley Cup champions on the verge of going to a third final, and even they don't really have a lot of depth on the right side. They're kind of making do with guys who you would say more bottom pairing or fringe right right handed defensemen. It's just really hard to find high level guys on the right side. Yeah, I mean, and that's where it all kind of falls apart. So when I look through the NHL right now and where the Canucks might be looking to improve the defense, they mention the right side a lot. And hey, we'll see what happens with the trades, whether it's JT or somebody else and what they get back in return and trying to get a right shooting defenseman is certainly something they are prioritizing. But if they can get in the draft, I think that's really the sweet spot, especially these two guys. I mean, and I've asked around about them, like the expectation is probably not playing this year. But not that far away from playing in the NHL. Yeah, like well, we're not talking about guys who are like three or four year projects. No, I mean especially now we're seeing how young defensemen can come in and contribute right away, which was never really the expectation before. But if you're taking a guy, yeah. fifth, sixth overall, something like that, yeah, you're not looking four years down the road. You're hoping, you know, in his draft plus two year kind of thing that he's going to come in and be a player. Yeah, that's the hope at least. So uh, we'll dig through th- those things a bit more as the show goes on. But it's time to chat with our good friend Matt Lee from BCLC and Play Now Sports. Bet on hockey like never before. But Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. Matt, what's going on, my man? How are you doing today? Not much, guys. Just getting ready for tomorrow's big game six. Rangers and Bolts should be a good one. I know, I know. We're, we're all jacked up about it, especially with the way the Rangers, as much as we've counted, it seems like they're cooked, or at least that's the feeling and the odds are very much against them. But they've been in this position before in every single round, Matt, and they found a way to push it to a game seven. So we shouldn't really count them out, should we? Oh, absolutely not. And look, guys, there's no shame in how far the Rangers have already come, like you sort of alluded to. But Game 6 in Tampa Bay, their odds on the money line are 2.6. Not great, Bob. And if the Rangers <laughs> have any shot tomorrow night, it, it falls on one guy's shoulders, Igor Shesterkin, for sure. And just looking ahead, you know, obviously New York's still alive and they have Igor Shesterkin, so th- there's always a chance that they come back and, and end up advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals. But as things currently stand, what are the just the overall Stanley Cup odds uh, between the three remaining teams looking like? Yeah, the Stanley Cup odds, I, I think it's fair to say right now that the Colorado Avalanche have really emerged to the, from the pack. I know there's only three teams left really at this point, but uh, it's really Colorado's Stanley Cup to lose at this point with 1.5 odds. Tampa Bay, of course, being up a game right now in that series. They're at 2.95. The Rangers, 16.0. So if you're really looking for the Hail Mary play, you can still bet on the New York Rangers. And like you guys mentioned, if anyone can steal a couple of games right now, it's Igor Shesterkin for sure. Oh, certainly. Now, as far as the Smythe odds go, and even the cup odds, we were talking about this a bit earlier in the week when you know Tampa was down in this series and they came back to me to 2-1 and we're like, hey, if you still believe in Tampa, I mean, there's a lot of juice. That The time to get into it is now yeah. before they start taking over. And then, you know, that's kind of going to be gone. And one of the things we saw was a dramatic shift in the Conn Smythe odds, especially for a guy like Kucherov. When they were down, the odds for him and Vasilevsky were 12 to 1 to win the Conn Smythe. Where are those at now? 
Yeah, uh, Nikita Kucherov and Andre Vasilevsky, both are nice little choices. If you're looking for some value, looking for some juice, they're around the 5.5, 5.75 range. Like you mentioned, they were in the double digits around this time last week. The odds in Tampa's favor at this point in time. And, of course, if it is getting to a best-of-seven Stanley Cup final between Colorado and Tampa Bay, it's really hard to bet against either Vasilevsky or Kucherov. I will mention Kucherov has not won the Consulate. It's been Hedman and it's been Vasilevsky beforehand. So maybe there's a little bit of extra incentive for Kucherov here. Well, and you also wonder if voters kind of almost look at it as it's his turn, right? If they do yeah. manage, kind of that would be there'd be something fitting about those three guys each taking home a Con Smythe on that run. I, oh, I, go ahead. Absolutely. I, I was going to say, like Kucherov's already leading the team in points right now. So if you're really looking at anyone on Tampa Bay. It could be Kucherov, and he's looked really good in this Eastern Conference final, guys. I mean, let's not take anything away from anyone else, but Nikita Kucherov has really helped put this team on his back a little bit here to give them that fighting chance to get back into and take this series lead. And the other thing we wanted to ask you about, Matt, you know, it's really interesting to look at uh, look ahead a little bit to the NHL draft and some of the odds on, you know, who could go first overall and who could get picked where, because for so long, it's felt like Shane Wright has been a lock to go first overall in this draft. But, you know, I'm starting to see more and more draft analysts and prospect guys question just a little bit if that's still going to be the case. What are the odds for, you know, to players to go first overall at the draft next month? Yeah, you sort of alluded to it right there. Shane Wright, the monumental betting favorite at 1.1. It's not great odds. Everyone has always had Shane Wright pretty much from start to finish at this point. I don't know if it's maybe, you know, you've overanalyzed Shane Wright's game so much to the point that you're starting to question if there are awards that aren't really there. But you guys have had some guests this week, and it's not exactly a 100% set it and forget it consensus that Wright should be the first overall pick. I know we've seen a lot of love for Slavkovsky, and we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of positive things in Simon Nemec and Logan Cooley, too. Uh, there's plenty of draftists out here in Vancouver these days and maybe you're finding some insane value on one of those dark horses those guys are around 9 and 18 mm-hmm. right now on playnow.com yeah it's a few weeks to go to the draft if you think it might happen good time to get in on it now and we'll keep tabs on those odds as the weeks go by but matt always a pleasure catching up on you every sing- with you every single friday and enjoy the weekend and chat with you next week yeah you too guys thanks uh, that is matt lee bclc and play now sports always a pleasure catching up with him now on the other side we have our favorite guest of the week or one of our favorite guests of the week and on fridays he is the favorite, and he is Yannick Hansen. That's next, right here on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. And Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. We have Yannick Hansen coming up in a few minutes, and he's one of our favorite Friday guests. And uh, we always look forward to chatting with him. And we'll get into the, the locker room stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, not to ask whether the report is true or not, but just ask about standards in the locker room, how that gets set. And, hey, is a lot of this much to do about nothing? Because ultimately, if you're a good hockey team, you win more, people work harder. That's kind of how it goes. And Yannick Hansen is going to be brought to you by Freeway Mazda. That's coming up in a few minutes. But, you know, I, I look at overall, though, what this team needs. We can overthink things sometimes as far mm-hmm. as this and that. You just got to get better. You got to get better players. And at the end of the day, if you're moving JT Miller and if you can't keep him, you got to find another superstar player or find a pathway to a superstar player. That's what the story is. Now, you got to build the rest of the team out. It's a team you got to build out. And there's so many things that go into it. And you got to draft well and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to really kind of 
breaking down to the nuts and bolts of it. That's add, essentially it. Add more talent. And yes. add more talent without having to pay it a lot necessarily, yeah. right? Because you're already paying a lot uh, for the guys you do have. You know, exactly. Uh, let's bring in Yannick Hansen into the discussion. Yannick, what's going on, man? How's your week been? It's been good. It's been good. Looking forward to the to the weekend here. It seems like all the, the extracurriculum is, is dying down now for, for the little ones. So mm-hmm. get a little bit more time now to... Uh, do just about nothing yeah <laughs> yeah so are you looking forward to that though like what how what's your summer going to be like when the kids are completely done their extracurriculars it's going to be stressful because uh, <laughs> now travel is allowed again right so now uh family and, and relatives are all uh coming over to visit again no it, it's going to be great obviously <laughs> but uh yeah. um it, it's going to be very busy we got uh people coming in shifts so we might have a a couple weeks here to to ourselves uh a little trip, and then we're right back in, in September. It just tell them you need to do some extra hits on 650 if you need a little bit of time to yourself. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll have you. We'll give you an out. <laughs> yeah, spare us 20 minutes here and there. That's all we ask. Uh, but, yeah, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show. And, you know, before we get into some of the playoff stuff and just kind of ask about what's going on, I mean, uh, a lot of stuff is being made about the Canucks offseason, what's, what has to happen. There's some talk about, you know, uh, leadership has to improve with this team and they want to add better leaders and, and shake things up in, in that regard. Like, what do you think of that notion about a, a locker room needing more leadership? Is, is that a thing or is it more about just getting better players and becoming better? Uh, I think you want, obviously it's not good hearing your, your locker room needs more leaders because it means something is lacking. Uh, every team wants to get better skill-wise and that's always something you can improve on. But But again, the leadership is something that will touch certain players a little harder because you, you feel like oh i'm a leader and we don't need we have these guys um but again it can make a big difference and again going back to my own days uh when, when they brought manny and manny wasn't wasn't a guy that was moving the needle scoring 40 goals but but the the intangibles he he brought obviously he had on the ice as well penalty killing face-offs uh all these things he did bring on the ice but off the ice he he was uh he was even more vital, I'd say, keeping the, the guys in check, um, keeping guys honest. Um, and it, it didn't matter who you were, uh, where you want, were on, on the, the, the ladder. Um, everybody got the same treatment. Uh, same thing was expected of the Sedins as the, the, the call up from, from uh, Chicago at that point. It, it didn't matter. He, he held guys accountable and again, led by, an example other than the example the twins left by, which was obviously their their play on the ice. No, he, he brought something to the room that was lacking a little bit. We had a a great room as well, but but he uh, he definitely pushed us over the top in that aspect. Yeah, the Mahotra example is a really interesting one, Yannick, because that's um you know that's a time where it really worked to bring in a guy who, as you said, you know was a penalty killer, a third line player with, with yourself and Rafi Torres, but had such an impact off the ice as well. But we've also seen times, whether it's with the Canucks or with other teams around the league, where, you know, you try to go out and bring in that type of player and it doesn't really have the desired impact. It doesn't change the culture the way you were hoping it would. I mean, what is it? Why is it so hard to to get that right? Why is it that, you know, it doesn't always work out, even though you can bring in a really well-respected and and high-character, good leader, veteran guy? Well, that's the million-dollar questions. Why do GM make these signings every summer that don't turn out... Mm -hmm. um, you you hope for the best. Uh, again, you do your your due diligence. Um, obviously, Manny had a reputation. Uh, I don't know if they got him for that, 
or what we sorely needed was the third line check and center. There's no right. question. That's what we were looking for. Um, that's that's what they were trying to find. So they 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 went for that. Um, and whether or not it was just pure luck that Manny was Manny, um, or they knew, I don't know. But but it just fit like a glove. Like the way he could keep, like you guys mentioned, Rafi keeping Rafi in line too, so so he wouldn't go overboard as well. Um, all of these things that 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 he brought um again he 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 ha- had he been a completely different personality he would have still worked out phenomenally because of the hockey player he was he just brought so many more intangibles that made him so much more valued than than just his on ice performance well, and as far as certain players on the team still, because at the end of the day, a lot of their key, like their best players are very young. I mean, Quinn Hughes, early 20s. Same thing with Elias Pettersson, for instance. How much of a maturation can players like that have? And how can they, as time goes on, really begin to set a standard? And, and perhaps, let's say for argument's sake, that they end up moving a guy like Miller and you know the leadership group changes. Is that an opportunity sometimes for one of those young guys to grow into a role like that? Or is that something that gets established right away? Yeah, but it takes time. Yeah. And again, I I don't want uh, a 21 year old having to worry about 18 other players. I prefer him to worry about himself, his life, uh, life away from the the rink, his practice habits, all these things. Uh, you don't want to throw too much at these guys. They have to perform on the ice. They're 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 their horses right now. Um, so again. It's one thing if you're asking that of a 27, 28, 30-year-old, but but you're asking this of guys that are just coming off their entry level, uh, trying to find out to live in a new city uh, away from home, maybe for the for the first time, and all of a sudden you're also expecting them to be leaders and uh, leading by example and, and holding guys accountable and, and all of these things. And it it is probably a little bit too much. That's where the notion comes in that we want to bring in some leadership who can take some of this off of these guys. So a couple years down the road they've had many to look at for now for three years and okay this is how a leader acts this is how you hold each other accountable this is how we 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 deal in certain situations now i can do it because now i have the experience myself i've seen it from others um and then you can start to mold into that thing uh, so again they, they do need some some good examples and again until you actually set foot in the dressing room you don't really know how it is who's the leaders uh and how they're going about their business. So uh, again, it, it's one of those things where it, it's very hard to to put value on from the from the outside. Um, but again, they they do need to find somebody that can that can show these young guys the right way. I mean, Bo has had leaders uh, early in his career, so he's seen how it's how it's done. Um, but again, they, they they withered away really quick after him, so he didn't have the, the benefit of playing with I'd say outside of the the, the twins, obviously Tanev and, and Eddie. Um, the benefit of playing with as many of them for as long and through good times as well. Um, so again, it is it would be nice to find them uh, find them somebody who can who can show them the right way. When you came up with the Canucks and, and established yourself as a full time NHLer, Yannick, you know obviously the Sedins were you know they were a couple of years into really breaking out as top line uh, NHL players who could really put up points in the league. Did you also feel like they had already established themselves as leaders or were they still kind of growing into that role? And what's that process like for young star players to, you know, fully adopt uh, also the leadership position on a team? No, I wouldn't say they had gotten to that point yet because they were still with their mentors, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Matias was still there. Sammy was still there. Sammy Salo, obviously. 
Um, Willie Mitchell was yeah. there. We had all of these older players who had been around for a long time uh, as well. There was in that leadership uh, group. I mean, obviously, my first year, uh, uh, Brandon Morrison was still there. Nassie was there. So, uh, again, they were sucking off all the, the experience off of these guys and then turn it in into their own year, years later. Uh, but but you do need to... Uh, you do need to sit on the sideline for for a while, watching, learning, uh, being told uh, what to do, and then you'll step into it yourself uh, and have a better sense of of how to how to go about yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it really interesting because you're right. I mean, unless you're there, you never know, and it, and it's always interesting what opinion you hear from what person, right? Because it really depends on your experience in a room as well, and. We always look at, you know, players and coaches and all that sort of stuff. Your expectations from a coach and all that as far as setting the standard, I mean, that's why the coach can only do so much, right? And as much as we talk about Boudreaux, like, and he did a really good job, if there are certain things that have to be done, it has to be outside the coaching staff too, doesn't it? Yeah, you also don't want the coach coming in yelling all the time at you. Yeah, um, that That's where he, he's going to be relying on, on the room for certain things that – so he's not the not the, the dark dog barking all the yeah. time. That that's where it's nice to have several different voices and and the room to be able to hold itself accountable, uh, knowing when okay this is just simply not good enough. We we don't need Av or Bruce or or Tortorella to come in and scream at us because we know we're not playing good enough. So we'll do the screaming at ourselves. We'll hold our self accountable, and the message doesn't get tiring either. Because um, again, hearing the same guy repeating the same things over and over again uh, throughout the season, because it does happen these bad games. We do play bad. Uh, we're not coming out hard enough. It happens to every team. Um, but again, you, you don't want to hear the same guy repeating the same things over and over again. Um, that's where again different voices uh, coming in, uh, keeping it a little bit fresher, a little bit different wording helps as well. So uh, again. I'd say you can never have too many leaders, but you probably could. Um, <laughs> but, but again, it's it, it, nice to, to, to find something. Well, I th- that's a really good point, Yannick, I think, just because we all, so often us on the outside, the fans and the media, we focus on the captain or you know who the guy who's wearing the letter, the best player on the team. But as you said, you need all of those different voices. You need a strong group of leaders to really make sure that, as you said, you know the message isn't getting stale. People aren't tuning it out. That it's really a whole team thing, and not not just one or two guys setting the example. Yeah, like you said, when when we played, when twins were the leaders on a team, no question about that. They led by their performance. But in the dressing room, they, they were never the one who was chewing out guys. It'd be it'd be Kevin. It would be it would be Manny. It, it would it would be uh, Lou would stand up. Um, Kess would stand up at times as well. So so we had all of these different guys who would not take it and wouldn't let it slide either. Yeah. And then the Hank and Danny, they didn't have to be the boogeyman. They were they were the, the nice guys. I don't think they had it in them to do it either. Um, I don't think I've ever heard them say a bad word to anybody other than themselves and or each other, and that's probably because they think you didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, they would never yell at anybody, um, no matter what. Uh, misplays didn't see them back on the horse, um, and that's just the way it was with them. Where other players know if you miss something that they they'd let you know it. Um, and that's where we had, like I said, a lot of different voices, and it wasn't like the same guy always over and over again with the same mantra, and it it made it that it never got stale. Yannick Hansen is our guest here on Canuck Central. And Yannick, kind of shifting our gears a little bit to uh, this, the Stanley Cup playoffs, I did want to get into the Rangers-Tampa uh, series a little bit, and I know like we kind of... W- 
we've talked about this in the past about how in a series you can have a team on the ropes, but if you don't take advantage, it, it can come back to haunt you. And I keep thinking back to the Rangers, up to nothing in this series, up to nothing in game three. They go and lose that game. And now all of a sudden they're down 3-2 in this series. It kind of reminded me, of, I know we discussed this a little bit, of the game that you guys had against the Blackhawks. I think it was in 2009. And it was, it was, I think it was game, I think it was game four. You guys were up 2-1 in that series. And you were up late in Chicago in the third period. There's a turnover, Havlat scores. Next thing you know, you lose that game. And it's a 2-2 series. Like how hard is, is that to overcome when you, you have a team on the ropes and you can't come through? Yeah, that, but also I think to, to this series right here, uh, Tampa is, is up to speed again. They, they set yeah. out for a while after sweeping. Um, there's no question they weren't firing on all cylinders game one or even two probably. Um, where now you, you might see uh, Rangers with with some tired legs, um, fatigue, uh, all these little things where, where, where Tampa is humming now. Uh, they're they're back in gear and ready to go. They had a week off, uh, not getting banged on and stuff like that. So it, it, there's a lot of little things. And again, Rangers' chance was catching them while they were sleeping, and and they did. They 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 took the first two, but but then you got to strangle them. You you, you got to finish it right there. And make it three nothing. I think what is it, three or four series where you, teams have come back being down three nothing. It's it's almost impossible. But like you said, they 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 let them back. Uh, in that game three and now all of a sudden you're playing game four in Tampa all they need to do obviously all in, in quotation here is they, they need to win that and then it's a tie series but but now we're feeling a whole lot better we're a more rested team uh, and the series really really shift at that point uh, and again back to to the Chicago if, if we come back 3-1 there uh, we were obviously standing with a much better chance mm-hmm. uh, to to finish this. We get all of a sudden two home games instead of just the the one we ended up playing, and, and you're you're probably taking it away from there. Um, losing three games uh, in a row, uh, as hard as it is to win three, it, it's it's also very hard to lose three because all you really need is is that one guy stepping up. You need your goalie to have a phenomenal game. That's enough, or or somebody who is who's stepping out, scoring a couple of goals, making a place, and. All of these teams have these players that can, in theory, take over a game and, and decide it almost single-handedly. So that's where you, you uh, as a team being up, you, you have to put teams away. Yeah. Um, not just going down the, the, the road in, in health aspect, but um, teams are so good now that you give them a sniff and, and all of a sudden they're, they're right back there. You know, the the uh, the player I wanted to ask you about specifically on Tampa Bay, Yannick, is uh, Andre Palat. Because we, we focus so much on, you know, Kucherov and Hedman and Vasilevsky for good reason. They're phenomenal players. They're star players that lead the way uh, for Tampa. But Palat has just been so impressive this series, this entire playoff run. You know, what is it? He, he doesn't get nearly as much of the, the headlines or the attention, but he, he's so effective for Tampa in these moments. What is it about his game that makes him uh, such a strong player in the playoffs for the Lightning? I had no idea. He, he's been like this for eight or nine years. I think he was part of that. Uh, they had a line a number of years back. Uh, I think it was Kucherov, Tyler Johnson, and I believe he was the, the, the third guy, and they, they were just piling in points uh, a little bit further down the, the pecking order as well. Stamkos was obviously their number one line, um, and then they were coming behind. But again, he, he's... Uh, He's obviously getting a little bit more room because of the other guys and very talented skills. Um, goes to the dirty areas, tips, 
screens, uh, does everything you want from uh, a guy who seems like can fit in seamlessly with, with just about any type of players, whether it's, uh, like I said, further down the lineup or, or it is with the, with the key cog. So, uh, again, Tampa has, has shown that, that you can do a lot of stuff with, with great depth. I don't know if I'd consider him in the, in the depth group anymore because he seems like he's just a vital part of this as the other guys you mentioned. Obviously, he's not being paid at that standpoint or getting the same attention um but he he's right there with them um and, and again diving in deeper to a little bit of the tampa here again we're, we're talking about depth and all these things and what it matters to teams and depth is important um but tampa has also shown that that the depth is interchangeable um you find mm-hmm. new depth pieces it, it is about the horses and and those are the guys that are dragging this team around and yeah, you need depth. You needed Nick Paul to win uh, Game Seven in Tampa or in Toronto, scoring those two goals. Uh, they needed the Goudreau and Coleman and Yanni Goudreau last year, that third line playing. Um, but those guys are interchangeable. The other guys are not. You, you need them as well. Um, and then you round out your team around them and find the pieces, whether it's Hagel or all of these guys <laughs> that they bring in, and to just make it happen. So it's. It's great to see. It's something you can strive for, and it is a lot easier when when you see a picture of what. Okay, this is what we need to get to. Yeah, I mean, a lot easier said than done, right? I mean, that's been the biggest thing. Before we let you go, what do you think when you watch Nikita Kucherov do his thing? I don't know. Uh, how does he do it? <laughs> uh, he's like he's got eyes in the back of his head, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's unreal. And and guys go at him. Uh, they go at him, uh, and he doesn't doesn't get pushed around. He just keeps playing. Uh, and again, he he's one of those types that I would think when I line up again, okay, we can maybe we can maybe intimidate this guy, but we'll scare him a little bit. He's not the biggest guy. He, he's European. Uh, all of these things that count again North American style. But uh, it's how many years now that that he just keeps doing his thing, and it doesn't really matter. It's it's great to see. And again, it's. It's good for hockey because uh, obviously it's a ton of skill that comes through, but also a lot of a uh, lot of toughness. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's such an impressive player to watch, and you're right. I mean, guys try to blow him up all the time, and, and they almost never can, and it's unbelievable. But Yannick, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy the weekend, and we look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Sounds good. Take care. Uh, you too. That is Yannick Hansen. Uh, always fun chatting with him, and like the Dunbar Lumber Texan box says, Justin and Pomo Hansen. Hansen is a book of idioms. He is. He's fantastic. Yes. I love it. I love yeah, it. Always a, a fun expression or two when, yeah, that, when the addict joins the show. It's fantastic. No, it's great. No, good insight about the whole leadership locker room stuff and the types of leaders you need. You know, the biggest thing, and this is where you see coaches burn out sometimes too from teams quickly. And I wonder with this team, you know, with things that happened the year before with Travis as well, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, if you don't have that internal group that sets the accountability, then then the guy who, who cracks the whip is yeah. always the coach. If, if too much of it was coming from the coach, it just wears thin so quickly. Yeah. Right? And, and you see that. I mean, look at, you now. Bruce Cassidy had a lot more success and was there, but, you know, Bruce Cassidy out in Boston, in part maybe because too demanding and the message is, is yeah. wearing thin after a certain point. Yeah. And there has to kind of be a balance in it, right? And that's something Alain uh, Vigneault figured out after a while. And, you know, I know people were frustrated with him, but the reason he lasted so long was... The guys talked about it. He handed over the room. You guys handle the room. You guys got this. I'll handle the bench and everything. But that separation between church and state, essentially, yeah. it allowed them to have that. I mean, usually you don't have a coach around for, what, eight years? AV goes in Vancouver as a head coach. You don't get that very often. No, and to be fair, you know, AV 
yeah, he he figured that out and he was smart enough to figure that out. But he was also in a situation where, as we just heard Yannick say, he had the players to turn the room over yes, to. Right? He had, the, you know, it, it has to be both. It can't just be up to the coach and saying, okay, hey, you guys figure it out. Because if the infrastructure isn't in place and the leadership isn't in place from the players, yeah. that's going to be a disaster too. Yeah, I mean, Elaine Vigneault was a coach here for seven seasons. Made the playoffs six Tough years. Tough to do. Yeah, made the playoffs six, six, six of those years, right? And he was a flawed coach, not perfect, a lot of those different things, but just a lesson and also just a reminder of how much you need that locker room to be strong as well to be successful as a team. All right, we'll continue the conversation coming up in the next hour. One of our favorite Canucks players to talk to is Brad Hunt. He's coming up an hour or two on Canucks Central.